welcome everybody to another live recording of the Business Travel 360 Linking the Travel Industry podcast, where we discuss travel industry news you are talking about on LinkedIn. My name is Rian and I'm one of your hosts today. I am the CEO at Agentivity, where we have a vision that any TMC should be data empowered. You can read about just how we make that possible at agentivity.com. And welcome everybody. I'm Anne and I'm a consultant with LeapShift. Happy to help you with anything related to retail, NDC, one order and distribution. I also work as an instructor both for IATA and Aeroplus. Hi everyone, my name is Ash and I'm the host of a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel, where we give you only the important updates in under 15 minutes. I'm also the vice president at Traxo and this is Linking the Travel Industry. So thank you for those joining us in the audience. Welcome for the new faces. Very nice to see you. And of course, warm welcome to the familiar faces we see every week. The format of this discussion evolves around a post I do on a Friday where we've rounded up the week's news and then we discuss them in a bit more detail here. So last week was week six already and my first story ushers about something that's going to happen in your part of the world that's been announced at New York and New Jersey will host the 2026 FIFA World Cup finals. What are your thoughts on that, Ash? So is this football or is it football? I think it's football. <laughs> that's kind of the reaction. It's kind of like, okay, that's nice. What it means is I think you need to be ready for the influx of tourists that's going to come to your country. <laughs> because there's going to be there's going to be many and they're going to be loud and drunk on the streets so it's going to be impactful for sure and um have you been following any of this has it been news to you as well uh, i think it's great that america's chosen and i like the spreading it out over canada mexico and the u.s my only sort of question mark is that the cities in the u.s are those very uh, well-known cities Miami, Los Angeles, New York, etc. I find it a bit interesting that you don't take the opportunity and try to sort of market other cities in the US. Could relate to the facilities they might have to host. So. Yeah, I was thinking of that too, yeah, sure. that maybe that... And it's got a good point because we do have a lot of big stadiums, even in very small yeah, cities. Yeah, you do. I mean... The Kansas City. Kansas, well, yeah, exactly. You know, I was thinking Cleveland, Boise. I mean, you know, there's loads of places where you could... Uh, Colorado, you know, why, why isn't Denver there? You know, so that was my question mark. Fascinating to see that JetBlue is going to keep their Amsterdam summer slots after all. After all that palaver that happened, there was this, you know, initial decision by the Dutch government. They want to reduce the capacity at Schiphol. And that meant the first victim of that was JetBlue. And we were all quite sad about it. We even talked about it on this show. And now it's been, they've been told, no, it's all back on track. So Anne, you can imagine, I saw the post by the GM of JetBlue herself. She was obviously quite ecstatic about this. Very good news for them. But uh, the cost of all this, right? Up one moment you can, the next moment you can't. You have to change all your plans and now you're back on track. Oh, I know. I, I just don't get it. Why are they constantly in the news, Amsterdam? And like you say, why can't they just make up their mind? This is ridiculous. And of course we want JetBlue at Amsterdam, right? My next post was uh, something I picked up in a post on Focuswire where it talked about the fact that flight disruptions are now 300% above norms and that most of those in the industry expect them to remain at that level, if not increase. This was out of a study done by Amadeus. And uh, really, the question here is just about, is this the new norm? I mean, is this going to be it? Are we doomed forever to be dealing with disruption in the industry? Ash, what are your thoughts? 
I do feel that the airlines, I mean, I know the numbers say otherwise, but I think that the airlines have improved how passengers can get reaccommodated. And I'm speaking about North American airlines when I say this. I don't know what's the reality in Europe and other parts of the world. Here in North America, rebooking your flights and things like that are very common things to do. It's very automated through the apps, whether it's United, American, or Delta for that matter. And so you have three of the four major airlines making it important that we're going to do this through technology and we're going to do this the right way. And I think for us, the side of the bonnet is a red flag, right? Because the airlines are not fantastically well geared to deal with it. Would you agree? They're definitely not well prepared over in Europe as they are in the US. But I did find the article, I must say, a bit that strange. You state this 300% or whatever then compared to 2019. And we, we have a lot of disruption in general in the world. I mean, we mustn't forget we have war situations and we have a lot of Doors falling out of planes. Poor Alaska. Don't don't Those mention things. that well, one again. It but, is it is causing but, disruption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we have delayed aircraft, etc. But to me, and maybe I'm a bit cheeky right now, but I really felt that this was one big promotion for the Amadeus IROPS product. Um <laughs> that, that that's the way I read this article, you know, come and buy this product because we know that there are not that many IROPS products out there. And yes, technology definitely needs to get better. So, sorry, but poor quality article okay. in, in my my book. Mohit, welcome. Yeah. You've joined us. Do you have an opinion on the story? Hi, good evening, guys. Yes, I do. Actually, I was just about to say what Anne just mentioned. If you read that article, especially towards the end, you feel like it's an extension of the last discussion we were having about Amadeus acquisition of Vision Box last week. But for sure, disruptions have risen. You cannot be at an airport and you know not see a cancelled or a delayed flight on screen. What this is also doing is, it's kind of filling the pockets for travel insurance provider. I hear attachment rates are you know off the roof and travel insurance is really becoming an essential bundle with their travel. Those are two very good points, Anne and Mohit, so thank you. Lufthansa had to cancel up to 90% of their flights due to industrial action and they really suffered. I saw there was it was massively disrupted. I mean, 90% is pretty much all your flights. And I, di- I didn't see further comments and posts about this. They must have done a very good job with the PR because I didn't see much else. I don't know whether you spotted anything else. Didn't spot anything, but, you know, I mean, we are all so tired of these conflicts. <laughs> yes. I mean, just, you know, can't they sort this out? I mean, they, can there actually potentially be that many unhappy workers? I mean, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way to find a compromise here somewhere and sort it out. I'm so sick of it. Ash, did any of this news make it to that side of the world? Yeah, I mean, it did through your post. To Anne's point, I mean, you know, it is kind of getting to be a little too much now. You know, these strikes after strikes. And I think that the end result is that the passengers are just it's too frustrating for them. Why is it that all these issues were not figured out when nobody was traveling for two years? And why are we figuring it out when the public wants to travel? It's not a good look. Now, sticking with uh, what's not a good look for an airline, the recent changes that uh, British Airways made to their loyalty program was causing an, a massive amount of issues and discussions online. In short, what they've done is they had a, a tier reset date, like most airlines do, but it was different for different members, you know, different times for different members, depending on when you started your program, etc. And they are basically going to consolidate that and bring it all together so that everybody changes on the same date. And that's going to be from 2020. Five, it's going to be the 1st of April and it was not a April's Fool's joke. So within 24 hours of that, there were loads of posts and you know lots of discussions on this and if you don't follow him, Oliver Ranson he did a really good post about this where he talks about it in a bit more detail and it was good to read. And what are your thoughts on what BA did here? 
When you, when you make these kind of changes, you have to plan them much, you know, much longer term. As you could see, I mean, people are so upset. And, and, and then it really makes you think, why didn't they have one common reset date in the first place from the beginning? That would have made so much more sense. That is but, true. Yeah, it's, it's just sad. But, but on that note, I just received a, an email from Lufthansa about my miles and more, and it's incomprehensible. I have no idea what they're talking about. They've changed the program. And I, I honestly cannot fathom what it is they're trying to tell me. So I don't know, you know, ambiguity, complexity is obviously the name of the game. It's it's really sad. Yes. Do we know how some of the other airlines work? I mean, Ash, how does it work in the States? Do you have different dates that your tier resets each year or is it the no, same? No, same, same date. Oh, really? Pretty common then, is it? Yes. This idea of multi- different dates for different tiers, it's ridiculous. Well, not even d- different dates for different tiers, but different dates per member. Like Lufthansa, that has a different number based on your tier. So you think you have a frequent flyer number. No, you don't. Because if you lose that tier, you get another number. And you're sort of like, is this automated? Of course not. Sorry to be so disgruntled, but it drives me batty. That's fine. So, Ash, are you thinking that British Airways did the sensible thing here? No, I don't think so at all. And I remember that when the pandemic ended and we were all seeing the alignments and all the activity that was happening around interlining and all these other things. One of the things I think we talked about on the show, and I want to come back to that thought, was that the alliances were supposed to play a very major role moving forward, right? So if I didn't have a route or certain city pair, I would tap into my alliance partners. I would then leverage their flights and I would then connect myself into that. And therefore, the alliances were starting to become stronger. And that was the whole point that we were all talking about, I believe, uh, last year. And I feel like they've abandoned the alliance conversation completely. To me, I know that this is going to be a very questionable thing to even think about, but I wonder if airlines should look at themselves as an alliance more than they do individually. And why doesn't the frequent flyer program not belong at the alliance level? So you take the dominant program and you make that the main program across the world. And you normally that for everybody. And you add lounges to that, like we've seen in certain cases. I think it was in Korea where One World actually has a One World Lounge. It was the first One World Lounge that opened up this year. If we connect the traveler to the alliance as opposed to the individual brand, doesn't that help? And I think it'll help all the airlines across the board. I don't know what you guys think about that. I love it. Same here. Love it. I see we've got Andy joining us. Andy, it's good to see you. I haven't spoken to you in a while. Oh. I, hope, I hope you've been well. And you have you got a comment for us on the story? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that there's, there's maybe a story behind the story here. Um, now, I don't know this for sure, but could it possibly be that there's a lull in bookings in that period leading up to the 1st of April? So if they align all of the membership dates, they're going to get a rush in people booking their last minute flights to make their tier cut off. I think, you're, on, right. I think yeah. you're onto yes. something there. Yes. And obviously also a reduction in cost for them from an administration perspective, right? Yeah. I mean, do you think it's it's going to be a reduction in cost? Does, <laughs> well, does it not, not just happen not the way automatically? No, probably not. But uh, yeah, you may be onto something there. So good point. Thank you very much. So I just want to take a few seconds to uh, turn to the audience and say thank you so much for joining us today. It's fantastic to see so many of you there in the audience. Really nice. Familiar faces, new faces. We do this each week. And our mission here with linking the travel industry is exactly what it says on the tin. We are really keen to get more of us connected to one another. So if you haven't done it already, please just scroll through the audience here at the bottom and connect to as many of those in the room as possible and obviously accept requests for others in the room we do really encourage it 
We also do pick on one person each week and make them our connection of the week. And I've just gone through the list to check why haven't we named this person before, because I do keep track of who we have named before. And I can't see your name on the list, but um, unbelievable that we haven't. Great to see you on the show. Our link of the week is Christopher Bobbiodi. If you're not connected to Christopher, you should be, because he is a fantastic connection to have in the industry. Uh, Really nice guy and really interesting person to talk to as well. So do reach out to Christopher. I'm sure you won't mind. And Christopher, well done on being our connection of the week. Um, Overall, thank you to everybody else in the audience for giving us your time today. So back to the stories. Uh, I saw a post that the EU, big sigh, wants a 90% reduction in emissions by 2040. Obviously, emissions relating to air travel as well. I saw this in a post on the Business Travel News Europe. Obviously, lots of comments there about the impact of this and, you know, what's this going to cause. But I'd be very intrigued to know, Anne, what your thoughts are on this. Well, it is a bit of a big sigh. I'm sorry, but, you know, it feels like it. At the same time, I think we need to have goals because I think that that really drives innovation. Uh, without them, we'd be a bit lost. In, um, I, I agree with you. We, we definitely yeah. should have goals, absolutely. Yes. Ash, what do you make of 90%? This conversation is getting tiresome for me yes. at this point. Because, look, there's too much focus on aviation. I think that the entire environmental world is getting too involved in the travel industry. And I know that travel admits emissions. But I think that we have other things that are emitting emissions that there's not enough focus on. Airlines can barely be profitable. There's so much pressure on airline to produce results and keep fares as low as they are, but yet the pressure just keeps mounting and mounting. So I'm going to kind of push back on any governmental agency. I mean, if they want to reduce emissions, focus on another industry and leave travel alone. I think many of us would agree with you, Ash. I would also want to add or do something then that makes that process easier, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, why have they spent the last, what is it, 20 years, as we know, just discussing in Brussels about a single European sky, which we know would cut emissions by 10% as of tomorrow and nothing is done nothing is done so i totally agree with you do something and we just can't have france owning its its own airspace up to you know spaceships or whatever i mean it's ridiculous do something was also announced this week. We heard about Revolut getting into the travel industry, but I see Revolut is again in the news with an announcement that they've teamed up with Sabre to help travel agents use more virtual payments or make that easier for agents to use. Quite encouraging. It's really nice to see that. So I, I like that. Ash, what do you what do you make of that? So Sabre's had a virtual product for a long, long time now. Actually, I think it's probably one of the least used and one of the best products in the marketplace. And so they've teamed up with different banks all across the world. So their portfolio of their product is amazing. The fact that they brought, you know, Revolut in, that's fine. It's good. Why not? But my thought on this is more so on the side that do people really care about a virtual card in the travel industry? I know a small percentage of people do, but shouldn't virtual cards be the mainstream in our lives today and in every way and form? I know is little hints of it, but shouldn't it be in every every single scenario? So I think that until we see virtual cards becoming the norm in every individual's lives personally, I think that the Saver product uh, called Virtual Pay is going to struggle when no matter who comes into the partnership. And again, like I said, Saver's had this product for a long time. It works amazingly and I think it's a good product, but yet it's not utilized as much as it should be. As to your point, 
don't you think it's a question of awareness? And don't you think with Revolut stepping in from outside the industry, they might shake things up a bit or raise more awareness amongst agents about the benefits of virtual payments? I mean, the agents can be taught all day long, but if the consumer doesn't care, then the agent has nothing to work with, right? I mean, the functionality is there to use virtual card, but yet the consumer doesn't have a virtual card process. I'm kind of surprised by it because I really think virtual card is the greatest way to eliminate fraud in the market. Yeah, I think I also agree with Ash. Uh, the opportunity is just so huge in the payment space, you know, in travel. There are still big gaps in the current offering. It's a great revenue stream for travel players, especially OTAs in the form of VCCs or even arbitrage. So I think Revolut seems to be a great partner for Saber with global footprint. So let's see how much value this can bring. And any thoughts? I wanted to add that it's interesting. I don't know if you've, I've seen a lot of advertising for Revolut, different media advertising, streaming, TV, etc. Calling it the global travel card, which is interesting because they're obviously positioning themselves as stronger and stronger and sort of taking that number one spot. So that's really my own, my yeah. only observation. I do like that. And just to comment on both Mohit and Ash talking about this from a fraud perspective, from in certain markets where fraud is prevalent, the use yeah. of virtual cards have increased dramatically. And we, we can see that amongst our agency customers. You know, they also use it to protect themselves, right? Because the, the card is issued mm-hmm. for that specific transaction and it can't be used for anything else. And so I suppose with pain, you learn, right? So maybe, <laughs> you know, yes. the more fraud there is, the more adoption of virtual cards there will be. Very nice, though, from my side to see Revolut step up and do more in the space. It's uh, it's great. My next story, really, I'm just going to mention it and we can move on because nothing's going to happen here. But it's uh, Ryanair winning a court case against the state aid that was given to Air France KLM during the pandemic. Very similar to a court case they once won against Lufthansa. Nothing's going to happen here, right, Anne? We can move on. We can definitely move on. Okay, cool. And then I have to say one of my own stories uh, falls under the category of... Space This was really nice to see. We saw Hawaiian Airlines debut high-speed onboard internet with Starlink. So not just talking about it, not just signing, you know, something, but actually doing it. They are in the air with high-speed internet. I think those were the stories on my list. And quickly, from your side, any extra stories? My only extra story really is, uh, again, follow Travel in Motion, Oyston and their updates. Uh, and they do a distribution update. And I thought it was um, interesting to see that Finnair claim that 70% of their content is sold non-GDS. And they say that it's going to be 100% by 2025, which I thought was a tad ambitious. I mean... But they're saying um, it's already 70% non-GDS, Yeah, 70% true. not on can't GDS. Be, can't be true. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't think it's true either. Sorry to be that frank. and, and, <laughs> yes. and, 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 and just, I just don't believe it either. I don't believe no. 70% for a traditional network carrier. Thank you so much. Um, so I just want to say thank you to everybody in the audience for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Well done, Christopher Bobayoti, for being our link of the week. Over to you, Anne. Thank you, everybody. And a special shout out to Chris, of course, being the link of the week. You're a fantastic guy. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining today's session. We host this LinkedIn audio call every week on Monday, and it is all about linking the travel industry. We encourage you to share this event with others that you know. Chances are high that if you enjoy today's session, others that you know will as well. And if you cannot make it because of time zone or availability, we make the session available as a podcast on businesstravel360.com. This is Linking the Travel Industry, signing off.